Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. practice of commemorating the Reformation reaches back as almost as far back as the nailing of the 95 Theses statements on the church doors. According to some sources, this day began to be commemorated around 1567. The Re- Luther nailed or posted the 95 Theses on 1517. He died in 1547. But it really wasn't made an official commemoration until about the 200th commemoration of that day. So for probably over three to 400 years, Lutherans have gathered together on the weekend before October 31st to rally the troops and remember that fate-filled day when Luther's 95 Theses changed the world. This day over the centuries had all kinds of commemorative items such as Challenge coins, maybe some of you all remember them when you were younger, getting them. Coloring sheets. I've even seen some Martin and Catherine von Bora bobbleheads. Christians were received to remember this day. The pastor would regale the congregation with talk about how we should celebrate Luther's ultimate act of defiance when he challenged the Pope around the use of indulgences and other papal fallacies. The church would usually talk about Luther being this fearless leader. And we would be reminded of our Lutheran battle cry. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. And we would swear up and down that we would never allow ourselves to look, act, or smell like the Roman church. Let's let's talk about this the events that led to this day. You all know some of the legend. If you don't, legend has it that during the night, Luther found out about the indulgences, and so he scribbles down 95 theological statements of faith. He angrily, because Luther is always portrayed as an angry old man, right? I don't lie. So he goes over, he's angry in the middle of the night, stomping his feet, goes over to the doors of the church, First, they would be closed, but he would take out his hammer and he would nail the 95 thesis statements right to the church doors, right? What's the problem with this? If, I, if, if you come and nail something to my church door and I come in on a Sunday morning and I see what it's, and I come up and I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, we're not going to do that. What's the first thing I'm going to do? Gone, right? You rip it down, you tear it up. There was this rule, though, at the university that if a faculty member wanted to debate a theological item, such as the use of indulgences, that he would have, the faculty member would have to post it somewhere. And there was a rule that you would have to post it to the door. But you wouldn't use nails. Anybody want to know why you wouldn't use nails? You know how much these doors cost? 
That's like a thousand dollar door. Don't go nailing stuff to the door. You're not only going to have me coming at you for nailing stuff to the door, you're going to have the entire property committee coming after you to fix their door. That costs a thousand dollars, right? I'm one of these skeptics that have really wondered that if this, the events that we often portray actually ever happened in the way that they did, or the way that we remember them today. Because posting, honestly, it could have been Luther just putting his ideas into faculty mailboxes. It could have been posting it to a door. We just don't simply know, because 505 years have passed. What most likely happened, that after Luther posted these 95 thesis statements, that either a student... And it probably wasn't even Luther that posted them, because let's be honest, and you all, if you've been to college, you know that if you, especially a high-ranking tenure professor has something that they want published, they're not going to go and do all the legwork. They're going to send out one of their TAs. So it probably wasn't even Luther who even posted it. But most likely what happened was that either a student or most likely a faculty member, a colleague of Luther, found, these doc, found this document that he wrote and said, you know what? This could get our little university some publicity. And so this person went to their good friend Gutenberg and said, hey, I hear you got a new copy machine. Can we use it? And the rest is history. The legend of Luther nailing the 95 theses to the door, church door, from historical perspective, really gets recorded about the 1600s. There were these political cartoons circulating at the time. And there was also a lot of Lutheran-Catholic turmoil. Lutherans and Catholics were nailing each other over theology. And that's when this whole legend of Luther nailing stuff to the church door really is seen in, her, in our historical narrative. Nearly 100 years after that fateful day. The sad part, though, of our historical narrative is that we have really been nailing each other ever since. Have any of you ever read the 95 Theses? Have you read it? Back in seminary, maybe. Miss Pat. Good Miss Pat. Has anybody here read them? I read them once. They're very boring. Most of what Luther wrote and addressed in that document has been addressed and changed. Back in 1999, Lutherans and Catholics signed a, a joint declaration on justification and sale of indulgences. Justification and the sale of indulgence was the main argument behind that document, that 95 Theses. You know, for a document that is so fundamental to this day, almost nobody has read it or even studied it. And these 95 Theses... They're not included in any of our confessional documents. Yet isn't that what we focus on the most, though, on Reformation? and our commemorations? You know, we still think, as Lutherans, that the religious world of today still resembles the, world, the religious world of the 1500s. Pope Leo, who, in, who excommunicated Luther, he was elected Pope at the age of 38. I'm 37. I can't imagine being given that much power and authority at my age. But what's even more scandalous is that Leo 
was named a cardinal at the age of 14, which, by the way, was against canon law at the time. Imagine a 14-year-old being given that much power, someone who would be one day could be the pope. You can't imagine he had very good role models to look up to, even a good spiritual upbringing. Emperor Charles V, who tried to get rid of Luther, he was elected emperor at the age of 19 years old. Imagine a 19-year-old having that much power. The world in the 1500s was really being run like a frat house with no adult supervision. So what are some takeaways that we should glean then from the Reformation for us today? For one, we need to understand how improbable the Reformation really was. Luther normally would have been tried, convicted, and burned at the stake, just like all the other reformers who came before him. But this time was different. And because the Reformation succeeded, the gospel message was opened to thousands of individuals. But understand this. The, re- the reason the Reformation ever happened in the first place was because Martin Luther opened up his Bible and read it and thereby changed the world. By opening up his Bible, Luther saw a different dominion laid out by God, which was being hidden by the leaders of his day. Luther, upon reading and teaching on passages such as Romans 3, that say, for we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law, saw that this was counter to the sale of indulgences, the sale of forgiveness. Luther knew, because he was a theologian, the power that God's forgiveness had for a people living in bondage to sin. Luther knew as a pastor that so many of his flock would spend their very last penny to buy an indulgence, to feel God's forgiveness for their children and for their family. The pastor and Luther couldn't let his people go on living in this way. The theologian and Luther could not stand by while the church spread this false gospel. Luther opened up his Bible. And he changed the world. Can you imagine living your life wondering if you had been made right with God? We take it for granted, 505 years later. Imagine the church telling you that the only way that you could be assured of your place in heaven was to purchase your very own seat. You know, that was truly the case. There'd be no need for the cross. There'd be no need for Jesus. All you would need is your wallet. What if you don't have enough? What will you give up to buy your seat? Food, shelter, clothing? Luther. Pastor Martin Luther saw his flock living in bonds of sin and the church was not telling them the truth. That they already have been set free and that God's forgiveness is truly free. That's the message of John 8. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. This truth is not something that you can find like a lost coin or a clean shirt. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth, and that truth alone will set you free from slavery. But what are we enslaved to? We say sin, right? That's what, Luther, what John is saying through Jesus, right? But sin in the eyes of, of John was more about the broken relationship between us and God. Not just about misdeeds. If we abide in our Lord, we will know the truth, and the truth alone will set us free and restore our relationship back to God. 
And who does Jesus say is the truth? Jesus, right? I am the way, the truth, and the light. Freedom, then, in the eyes of John. It's committing yourself to Jesus and abiding, pitching a tent within the confines of our Lord. Freedom is anything but autonomy, according to the gospel of John. Freedom does not mean that you get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Freedom means having our relationship with God restored and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for that healing of that relationship. Having this freedom means that the church can't fix your broken relationship with God. The Pope can't fix your broken relationship with God. Luther can't fix your broken relationship. I can't fix your broken relationship. Neither can Pastor Diane fix your broken relationship. Only Jesus Christ. And he did so on the cross 2,000 years ago. You know, I am firmly glad that the Reformation happened and that it continues to reform and live alive today as we, as Lutherans, continue to reform the church. I am forever grateful for Luther being bold in his care for his flock and for putting the gospel into the hands of us all, not just the religious elite. I am forever grateful to know that my freedom from sin does not lie in my hands or in the church's hands, but in the bloodied and bruised hands of Jesus Christ. But I also know, and I think we need to recognize, that the Reformation has caused a great amount of disunity and brokenness in our world. And it's taken many, many years to mend and heal that brokenness. That is a truth we must contend with this day as well. You know, after 500 years of commemorating the Reformation, I've begun to wonder if it was even healthy to continue in doing this commemoration. I mean, obviously, we felt it was because here we are. But I do want to be careful about how we approach this day now and in the future. For many years, the Reformation service has been this prep rally we used for Lutherans. We used to get... We use it to get everyone excited about our heritage, to get excited about a monk who defied the Catholic Church and who won the right to preach and teach his views of scripture and theology. We sing rousing hymns like a mighty fortress is our God and all those other good German chorale songs. We talk about Martin Luther shouting to the cardinal at the Diet of Worms, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Yet we forget the part of history that actually records Luther not being so bold in his defiance. When he was first asked to recant by the cardinal, he didn't shout that and then run off and start the Reformation as they portray in Hollywood films. No, when he was asked to recant, Luther asked for more time to reconsider the charges. And the court granted it to him. When he returned the next day, Luther did say those famous words. But he said it in a bare whisper out of fear of what would come next. He knew that his teachings and his words would be used to divide the very thing that he wished to reform, that his words and teachings were going to probably cost him his life. What Luther did 505 years ago tomorrow forever changed the landscape for Christianity. But I really think 505 years is long enough to celebrate the division that has been created through this movement. I think 505 years is long enough to viewing our Catholics, brothers and sisters, as our enemy. 505 years is long enough to use this day as a prep rally. I really think this day in the future needs to be less about the story of nailing a document to a church door and more about the power of God's word in our world today.
I think the commemoration of the Reformation needs to be less focused on our German roots and instead embrace the great diversity that Lutheranism has throughout the world today. You know where the Lutheran church is growing the fastest in the world? Africa. It's growing by leaps and bounds. That's not the case in Europe and in America. So maybe we shouldn't just limit our hymnody on this day to hymns like A Mighty Fortress is Our God and other good German songs, but sing other Lutheran songs like we did today for our graduate hymn, Listen, God is Calling, from Tanzania. Or some other good songs from Africa, like We Are Marching the Light of God, from South Africa. As much as I dislike the ELW, one thing that the ELW does really well is including those other Lutheran voices and creating a hymn that is really reflective of our Lutheran Reformation movement today. The Reformation is a global movement, and it's not just limited to the past, but is a worldwide and culturally diverse thing that continues to exist today. When we talk about our Lutheran heritage today, I think we need to think beyond liturgically correct jello, potlucks, or Garrison Keillor's humorous yet fictional stories about Lutherans in the lake in Minnesota, all of which I love and appreciate. And that's not who we just are. We need to see our church as part of a global theological movement that is still reforming today. So let's start a new tradition by reclaiming some of our past. Instead of using our Lutheran battle cry and defiance this day, let us use these words instead to say, here we stand with you. We can do no other because the gospel will not allow us to stand any other way. May God help us all to stand together.